so I think we need to start today with a remembrance of something. And that's this. For the last couple of weeks, God has supernaturally let it rain in Amarillo, Texas. I mean, our weathermen, bless them. I don't know how in the world they can do their job because it makes no sense, does it? I mean, we're used to seeing the storm clouds come from every direction. It can rain in Bushland. It can rain in Canyon. And as soon as it gets to Amarillo, it always dissipates. But by God's power and strength, he's allowed it to rain on our city. So let's thank him for it. Let's pray. God, we pray all the time for rain. Lord, we, our land needs it. Lord, our farmers around here need it. Um, Lord, frankly, we, we just, our allergies need it, God. And in every possible area, Lord, we've needed rain. And Lord, by your strength and by your power, by your grace, uh, you've allowed it to rain in our city. So God, we don't want to miss the opportunity to thank you for that. Uh, we're grateful, Lord. So thank you for hearing from us, Lord. Thank you for blessing us. And Lord, keep it coming. Lord, we're just, we want to tell you thank you. We don't tell you enough. So thank you, Lord, for all you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The Sunday school teacher um, just had an amazing Sunday school lesson of teaching. For those of y'all that teach kids in the life of our church, thank you. Um, but she had just finished telling the story of Jonah, and she had just finished telling the kids about how the big fish had swallowed Jonah up. And, and so she had just finished, and parents are about to come, and she goes, before we leave today, kids, what did you learn about the story of Jonah today? And it went silent. For any of y'all that teach kids, you know this moment. She could have filled it with something, but she waited. And finally, a little girl in the front row raised her hand. And she said, Sally, thank you so much for raising your hand. What did you learn about from the story of Jonah? And Sally said this, always take a plane. <laughs> there you go. No other takeaway. Um, you know, we miss the story sometimes. We, we've read it a hundred times. We, we go through these moments and we just miss little pieces of story that as we go back and reread it and reread it and reread it, finally, that little part comes to life. Any of y'all found that in Scripture? How you could read the same thing several times, but that one time that you read it, all of a sudden, a whole moment is missed. And you're just going, where was that? That, that changes everything. And, and there's this moment, the, the Pharisees, have watched Jesus heal a man of demon possession. And they're all standing around, and they want to trap Jesus. And so they say something. They say, Jesus, this is in uh, Matthew 12, if you want to see it. It's not going to be on the screen. But it says to them, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. I mean, what did he just do? He had just done a miraculous thing, and, and now... They're saying to him, do something else. And here's what they were trying to do. They're just trying to get more ammunition to trap him. And what Jesus says next is interesting. He says this, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. 
The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. This moment is revolutionary because they know the story of Jonah. They taught it. He's a minor prophet. At this point, it's been told. And, and in this moment, Jesus could have done anything to prove a point. But what he's trying to tell them is this. Y'all know a lot of stuff, but you've forgotten the point. And so he tells them, here's your sign. The message is being proclaimed to you today. And you've missed it, and it's right in front of your eyes. So the only sign that you're going to get is that there is a way that's being made three days and three nights. And then there's a judgment. And that judgment, the men of Nineveh, who were the worst of the worst, and who, by the way, these people would have said were still the worst of the worst, they will stand and condemn you guys. Because y'all have taken it to the next level. So let's, let's rewind in our story with Jonah. We started off with a, a prophet who is proclaiming to his people. He's in front of kings. We get that from other passages. And then God calls Jonah to Nineveh. A place, if you remember from Dale leading off this series, is not a very good place. They were ruthless. They were morbid. They were a terror of their time. No one wanted to go to Nineveh. Even Nineveh didn't like Nineveh. But see, they knew better. In fact, they knew of God. Jonah tells them that. When he speaks of a God who is going to get them, as his sermon preaches, they repent back to God in sackcloth and ashes. We heard that that Jonah is running, he thinks he can outrun God and that God can't find him if he runs fast enough. But we also learned that there is no height, nor depth, nor anything that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You can run, but you can't hide. God is always running with you. In fact, God runs before you and after you and around you. God never leaves you alone. He loves you that much. So Jonah gets swallowed by this great fish, and he remains in this fish three days and three nights. And in the belly of the fish, he has a moment of repentance where he tells God, you saved me. I'm in the belly of the fish. I thought I was going to die, but because I'm alive, I will do what you asked me to do. With that, God sends the big fish up to vomit Jonah up on the shore. And last week, we got that Jonah did what God asked him to do. He goes and he preaches His sermon's short and sweet. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's it. And he keeps going for three days through the city. At this, the people start to repent. They put on sackcloth and ashes. The king hears about this. He makes a declaration amongst all his people that every person and livestock will repent. What did the cows do? But see, when repentance is real, you want to invite everybody to the party. And so in that moment, the whole nation at this point, this whole group of people, you remember Nineveh is the capital. 
of a, an Assyria that is a terror. You can just imagine if the capital repents, everybody follows suit. How large of a repentance was this really? And so we pick it up there in chapter 4 of Jonah. Let me back up to 3.10. Four, just keep 4.1 up there. I'm going to back up to 3.10. Then the Lord saw their actions. They had turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. He did not do it in verse 1 of chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord. Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were merciful and a compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and the one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better that I die than to live. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant. Yes, he replied. It is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in the night. Should I not care about a great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? And then the story of Jonah ends. It's not the kind of movie we would have loved. It's not one that we would have flocked to the movie theaters to see. Here's why we like happy endings of movies. We like the guy and the girl to get together at the end of the movie. We like the, the troops to win the war. I mean, listen, that's the whole reason there's a Hallmark channel. We like movies to end well. We like the guy and girl that don't like each other to fall in love eventually, for her to leave the guy that she's with that's a jerk, and to get together with this guy within about an hour and 30 minutes that for us guys seems like 20. It's the same movie over and over again. I can tell you, the, my, my wife and I, for those of y'all ladies, how many of y'all, let's just be confessional, have already planned out when Hallmark's going to start re-airing the Christmas movies? Go ahead. You can be confessionary. Men, soak up football season. Just go ahead and enjoy it. If you like fishing, watch it on TV. NASCAR fans, I mean, wear your NASCAR shirts to church. Just soak it up because it's coming. Hallmark Christmas is coming. Story of Jonah. We want it to end better. I mean, we want Jonah at the end of the story to have this moment of clarity again. Like maybe the fish becomes land shark and comes and swallows Jonah back up. And he's in the belly of, you know, land shark. And he's like, oh, 
I repent. I want Nineveh to make it. And I will go be a better prophet. And the land shark to spit him out again. And him to be like, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I love you all. That's not the story. The story goes kind of like this. Nineveh's in repentance and they don't have a prophet. And there's a prophet sitting outside a town in the east hoping that they're burned up. And the only one getting burned up is the prophet. You ever felt so angry and so miserable that like you wish with all your might you could make cities burn? Just like, oh, God, if you loved me, it's really what Jonah's saying to God. As if Jonah controlled God's next movement. But we get a little bit of revealing about Jonah's character, don't we? We get this revealing that in this story that Jonah at the very beginning goes, God's going to save the city? You have got to be kidding me. I'm not going. He wasn't running because he was afraid. He was running because he didn't like them. He didn't want them to survive, and he knew if God sent him, he could spare them. And he wanted them to burn. And I don't know what's on your burn list today. I don't know what you set up as the things that you hope in your life would burn around you. But I can just tell you that God loves people and places more than you do. And he's still sending you. He knew that Jonah would end up outside the city to the east. He knew that. He knew that that's what he was going to do. And he sent him anyway. Why? Why not send someone else? A prophet that loved God a little bit more, we would say. Or a prophet that would actually go with a kind heart and see the city spared. I mean, we don't know Jonah's story. We don't know if his family was harmed in some way by Nineveh. We, we don't know the background of why. We just know that in this process, Jonah was the one that didn't get the story. He's the one that missed it all. And so let's learn from him so that we don't become him. So let's talk for a second. Number one, our displeasure with God's outcomes doesn't change his holiness. Sometimes God's going to move in your life and you're not going to like the outcome. You just won't. You're going to want the outcome to be the way that you wanted it to, and God's going to move the way he wants to, but it doesn't change how holy God is. He is good regardless of your thoughts for him. God is still better than your best thought of God. He is holier. He is more perfect, more loving, more kind than you could ever give him credit for. You ever thought about that for a second? I mean, I was just sitting down here worshiping with the worship team, which just killed it today. And as I'm worshiping, I'm just singing to God and I'm praying to him. And I'm telling him how good he is and how much I love him and how much I pray that he would fall on this place. And as much as I pray that God would speak over your lives, he wants to do it that much more. I mean, it just is a marvel to me that God loves me in spite of me so much more that I could give him credit for I mean, the fact that he loves us at all is a marvel. 
right? Like, he loves us that much. He is desperately in love with you. More than you could even think about that, he loves you that much more. We give him everything in terms of human capacity of love. Something like this, I love my wife this much. And God goes, well, that's sweet. Uh, let me give you a for instance. You ready? You ever seen teenagers in love? Hey, teens, I, I love you guys. Much love. You ever seen teenagers in love? As a, as a married couple that's put it together for several years, you kind of look at them like this. Oh, but we're in love. Okay. Slow your roll. Right? But we're soulmates. No, you're not. You're classmates. Uh, love you for that. Because love makes sense in time, right? Time is always the purifier of love. And if that is the truth, if time proves out love, God is eternal. He has no beginning. He will have no end. How big is that love? And that love loves you. That's big. That moves us. That changes us from being people that see God as a cosmic killjoy into a God that desperately loves you more than your plans for you. You ever made plans and God changed them? Hurt your feelings? God, I had this idea for me. And I just want you to know you're getting in the way. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? You know what I think God does inside of heaven? I think he does what dads do when he, they see their kids standing up on top of a cabinet trying to become Superman. They giggle. They go, oh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to hurt you. Go ahead. See what happens. Ka-thump. Mom walks in the room. What were y'all thinking? Dad goes, I don't know what they were thinking, but that was awesome. <laughs> but you don't lose that love. And God watches us do a million stupid things and loves us like they never occurred. That's the majesty and power of the love of Christ. Is that in spite of our stubbornness and stupid natures, he pours love on us. Like a Gatorade bath at a football game. Push. God loves you. There's this story of these two ladies. Um, they were together, sisters, 1859. They, uh, they published a book called Say and Seal. It's a novel, and it was about two main characters, Faith Derrick and John Linden. They tell the story that John was a Sunday school teacher, and he taught little kids, and one of his little children in his Sunday school class became ill. And over some time, that illness became very dire. John went to visit the child, and he walked in the room, and the child said, Mr. John, will you hold me? I feel like I'm going to see Jesus soon. So John picked up the child and he began to walk back and forth across the room with the child. And the child said, talk to me, John. And John would visit with the child. And over time, the child said, John, would you sing to me? 
And so in the novel, John sings him a song. 1859. In 1861, a man picked up that book and he read it and his heart broke. And so he put music to that song and he added a chorus. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You are loved by God. So much that that you just need to know this today. As much as you could make sense of that, just know it's that much more. He just lavishes you with love because he is that compassionate, that kind, and that merciful that he would love us in such a way that we could not even comprehend it. Here's the problem. God loves us that much. He's invested in us so much that those of us that are in Christ who have placed our faith and our trust and our hope in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have a problem. Our flesh is always in opposition to the mercy and compassion and faithful love of God. For the rest of our lives, we will fight between us or God. And this is exactly the fight that Jonah was in. Because he says it to God in prayer. He says this, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from disaster. He tells God that. I knew who you were, and that's why I didn't want to come. I knew that you could do this. I knew that you could save them. I knew that you could forgive this, this city. And I knew because of all of that, I didn't want to be the guy that brought the good news. I wanted them to die. And see, Jesus would answer this question ultimately by saying this. I have come that they may have life. And not just okay life. Not just supplementing life. Not just eking by kind of life. But life in abundance. Life that would overflow. Life that would be completely changed. Life that would show something different happens when you intersect with a holy God. And because of that, we daily have to take our place, church. We daily have to wake up with compassion and readiness to go and share our faith with the lost people who don't have the hope of Jesus. We have to have that because there's a whole people group waiting out there to be loved by a holy God. And God is sending us to go. He's calling us to go. He's calling you to go. But we're in a really weird time. We've come to a place in the church where I believe politics have governed our faith instead of our faith governing our politics. And so our sins always seem microscopic compared to the sins of those in front of us. Our sins always seem microscopic compared to the sins in front of us. This is why we get the part in Scripture where it says, take the plank out of your own eye before removing the speck in your brother's. 
This is why Jesus talks all about the time that he is the judge. And that we are not, because we will be governed by the same judgment. Remember that? When we don't listen to Jesus speaking over our sins, we'll let everybody else point the finger at everybody else. At some point, we're going to have to see that God loves the Ninevehs just as much as he loves the Jonas. And we've got a lot of Ninevehs. They're around us every day. They, they look like our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members. People who are far from God doing things that are anti-scriptural. And yes, we can go to them and we can just tell them, in 40 days, you're going down. In 40 days, you're going to burn. Or we can do something revolutionary and we can show them Jesus. Because I believe there's enough people standing on soapboxes today telling everybody they're going to burn. And not enough people standing eye to eye with people telling them how much God loves them. So much that he would send Jesus. And what Jesus has done for us. I believe without the very nature of Jesus, there is no reason any of us deserve anything. We don't deserve breath. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve the moments where the Spirit speaks over our hearts in worship and in the Word or in conviction. But because of Jesus, He changes everything. Has He changed you? You see, Jonah's story is sad because it doesn't end with Jonah getting it. But didn't he? Didn't he kind of get it? That God was going to spare a city that repents, but Jonah just didn't like the outcome. See, here's our challenge. Followers of Jesus must care about what he cares about. This is our fight today. We've got to fall in love with the things that God is in love with. And God so loved the world. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Because there's a great big world around us yearning for the touch of Jesus. And there is absolutely no fingers of Jesus touching them. In our city, we are about to become the most diverse people group city in the nation. We have so many spoken languages in our city that it's crazy. And because of that, our city has a problem with schools where there is multiple languages spoken in these schools and no one to help. There's a whole people groups of people in our city that today don't know how to do the basic things. They don't know how to speak English. They don't know how to run. They don't know how to flush a toilet. And they're put into places all around our city with running water and with stoves that they don't know how to cook on. In our city. I'm not talking about around the world. I'm talking about Amarillo, Texas. God has brought the world to us. Do 
we love it. Because he does. In every face of every person, on every street, no matter where they come from or how they look or how they act, Jesus loves people. He created them. He molded them. He knit them together in their mother's womb. He loves them. There's this sweet lady who time had kind of forgotten. She had a little house outside the city, and, and each day she'd sit on her front porch and reminisce. But one day, something just crawled all over her. She just decided to do something. Between her house and her neighbor's was a cinder block wall. And she found the tiller that her husband used to run, and she ran out and she tilled up all the grass next to that fence line. And she had found a vine that grew the most beautiful red flowers. Beautiful. And so she planted that vine all along the side of that wall, and she waited. Time occurred, rain, she would water it, she would fertilize it, and over time it started to bud. And after a while it began to climb that wall. But see, the days kept coming and going, and all this lush vine was there, but no red flowers. And it irritated her. She wanted to see red flowers. And so one day, it just climbed all over, and she took out a hoe, and she began to just knock down that vine. And as she was, her neighbor pulled up, and he said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And she said, listen, I planted this vine, and it's not producing any red flowers. And because of that, I'm cutting it down. And he goes, man, would you stop? Come with me. And with that, they walked around the cinder block wall. And on the other side, thousands of those red flowers. I believe the reason we don't love our world is we want all of the joy of knowing we did something. But to God be the glory. We are to go and be faithful. We are to reach people with the love of Jesus, with his compassion, with his grace. We are to show them that he is amazing and wonderful. And may we always be captivated by the fact that that side of heaven, God always sees the flowers. Go. Don't be a Jonah. Be a you. But go. There is somebody today that needs to hear about Jesus from you. Not from an evangelist, not from a pastor, from you. Be a person who is so loved by God that you could pour it out. Because that is exactly who you are in Christ. Lord, I want to pray, God, and ask. Lord, that, that you would just pause our morning so that we can hear from you. Lord, we want to know how loved we are. And so, God, there's a real enemy that wants to convince us that there is no love for us, that our story is too, too poorly written, that we've gone too far, that we've sinned too much, all of which is a lie. Because you're enough. In fact, you're more than enough to cover our sin and, and blot out, as Scripture says, our iniquity, the things that we would do wrong the wrong actions, the wrong thoughts, the wrong words. God, you speak to our hearts. 
God, may we find ourselves repentant today like Nineveh. May we find ourselves talking to you and just saying how desperately we need you. And may you hear our prayers. God, my prayer this morning is for the one. For the one man, for the one woman, for the one student or child in this room who needs a Savior that loves them. And today, they would receive that love and give you their everything. That you would come to them and God, that you would take their lives and give them your own. That you'd become their Savior, the one that would save them from their sin, and their Lord, the one that would help them to walk after you. So God, would you speak to their hearts? God, would you give them the boldness to make you known today? And God, would you change the room? Lord, that none of us would leave here without a deep-seated passion to know you and make you known in our community. Lord, today is the day for your church to rise. And may it start with us. Would you move in that way, Lord? By the work of your Holy Spirit, would you move? In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray.